Welcome once again to the Propreneur Podcast, where we help practice owners become better entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Dino Watt. Welcome everybody to the Propreneur Podcast. Excited to have you here again for another episode of our Best Practices Podcast. Please remember if you have not subscribed to do so, and if you haven't told a friend or a colleague about it to do so as well. As always, we're trying to bring you the best information possible, whether that be through just our Straight Principles podcast or our, our podcast where we interview experts and professionals in the field that they are in. And today is no different. Today, we're going to be talking to Chris Benson, who is uh, an amazing guy who actually found out I was more connected to than I realized uh, when I first found out that he was being booked on the podcast. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dino. It's a pleasure to be here. Happy New Year. Oh, thank you. You too. Yes, we are recording this at the new uh, part of the year where everybody gets to renew and rethink about what they did last year and try to make it better for next year, right? That's right. <laughs> My better eating choices this year are on the verge. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you're uh, an, uh, are you the owner of Benson Koppel and Associates, right? Yeah, I'm the founding partner. I have two other partners now, but uh, it, was, it was myself uh, taking the deep dive uh, years ago. Yeah. Well, what made you want to do that to take, I mean, were you always wanting to be an entrepreneur and own your own business or what made you want to jump into something like that? You know, I was, uh, you know, my background is I rocked out of the practice management cradle in Atlanta with, for orthodontics. And so, mm-hmm. you know, through a odd set of circumstances, I started working for a company called OPMS in 1988, mm-hmm. DOS computers and orthodontic offices that weren't even multi, you know, weren't even networked yet. So, wow. You know, I, I did that for 15 years. I moved to North Carolina because my wife was from here. We wanted to raise our kids here near uh, her side of the family. And um, Dr. Jerry Clark was an orthodontist who had, like a lot of orthodontists, kind of a side business that wasn't run very well. Mm-hmm. And so I bought that business from him. And um, we do valuations and transitions now. So I've got 30 years in orthodontics and all on the business side. I'm not a clinician or anything like that. But uh I love it. And we're, a, we have the same heartaches that orthodontists have, you know, I've got 10 people here, two partners. We're about the size of a, you know, mid to large orthodontic practice. And sure. HR is hard. All, you know, the market's sure. changing and we're trying to figure it all out too. So you're dealing with the millennial problem and the veterans problem and everything yeah, right. else is doing. Yeah. So what's interesting about what you do is, as you said, you deal with the evaluation of a practice so that they know their value of what, what their practice is worth. I'm sure you run into often, um, well, I have to preface this years ago, I was in the real estate industry and I uh, always ran across this thing called I lived here itis, which was, <laughs> People would have their home, and even though their neighbors sold for two hundred thousand, and all the way around the block was two hundred thousand, their house was special because they lived there, and right. so they had I lived here itis, and they're like, no, 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 our house is easily worth two fifty, if not two seventy five, maybe even three hundred thousand. <laughs> and I would say, well, but you're not. It's the same as the other houses around here that doesn't comp, but I lived here, <laughs> and it's like, okay, so, so how- true. I, how do you deal with that in your own uh, assessments of the practices? You know, it's a, it's a good setup for really good, our part of, a, you know, what grounds us and what we're based in. But every seller thinks their practice is worth more and every buyer thinks they're really getting taken. Right. Yes. So uh, my business is talking to both sides of this deal every day. So a lot of conflict in my life. <laughs> yeah, I bet. 
and how we deal with it is, you know, uh, we have a phrase around here called facts are friendly. And uh, mm. we find that it diffuses emotion. And, you know, we, we've got a lot of data. We're very data driven. And we say, listen, you know, you show us where we made a mistake on how much money this thing's throwing off and we'll, we'll give you a higher number. But, you know, this is this is what it is. And, th and then you'd really do get some, into some interesting conversations. But, you know, we're, it's a fact based kind of business and it is emotional. And it's not just the money. It's, you know, this is my baby that I've worked in for 30 years. And it's yep. it's worth so much more to me than it is to whoever's buying it, maybe. And so there's I have a lot of conversations with doctors that say they're ready to sell. And I said, really, I don't think you are. I want you to work a couple more years and then call me. Wow. Interesting. You, you sometimes even have to be the counselor to them to, to slap a reality, not just of how much it costs or how much their practice is worth, the value of it, but also if they're emotionally ready for it. Are they ready or is their spouse ready? Because, you know, oh. I'll, I'll ask, you know, if I had your spouse on the phone without you and I said, you're, you're fixing to do this, you know, what would he or she say? And, you know, you need to be on the same page on those kind of things. It's a big, uh, big life big decision. decision. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I took a big jump and dive into more of what you do. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit. Let's rewind a little bit and go back to, so you mentioned you got into the orthodontic space. You were able to buy out the practice, but you do a lot more than just uh, evaluate the practices. Tell us the whole scope of what Benson Coppola and Associates does. Yeah, we really see ourselves as an education company. I mean, when you think about it, you know, if you're an orthodontist and you really loved us, you'd use us twice in your career, you know, the first mm. day and the last day. Um, wow. And so, you know, we see the market as buyers and sellers. And so we do valuations. Um, most of those clients are my age. I'm 58 now. They're thinking about, you know, how much longer mm -hmm. they're going to work. And, and we start that time process. Some people are growing real fast and they need to do evaluation to bring a partner in or an associate. And so we work with some mid range, mid, you know, life cycle practices. And some people are just getting out of school and getting started. We do a lot of education on the resident base side and the new and younger doctor base. Um, and that's changing a lot. So buyers, sellers, and then transition work. I have two full-time recruiters. One's a partner, Shannon Patterson. And uh, we're finding a big need for that in the resident base and in the corporate DSO base, quite honestly. Um, they're looking for, for good talent that, you know, wants to stay and be there. So there's a right, right way to recruit and, and a wrong one. And the rest of our stuff is, uh, I've got a newsletter on how to run a successful practice that comes out once a quarter. We've been doing that for 15 years. Um, we do a lot of speaking. Um, and that most of that is around the trends in the marketplace, what's happening, what direction is the orthodontic space going. And we're kind of looked to, I think, as the place to go if you want to get uh, a pulse on, you know, the specialty. Awesome. So I hope that everybody has a good grasp on right now. We've tried to lay the groundwork that you know what you're talking about when it comes to uh, evaluating and assessing practices, uh, getting out of your own headspace of like, because the I lived here itis type situation. And now we've got down to what we're really here to talk about today, which is what you just alluded to a moment ago, which is what's happening in this industry. What are the trends? Here we are at the beginning of 2020. And one of the things that we really wanted to dive into is finding out what do you see are the biggest things that people need to know about happening. And you mentioned with DSOs, you mentioned, you know, even with corporations coming along, there's a lot of, I feel anyway, with the clients that I'm talking to, with the times that I go out and I speak at different events, there's um, almost a little bit of 
unsurety in the marketplace right now because not everybody's really understanding what's going to happen over the next 5, 10, 15 years, which is going to be super fast, right? It's, it, it goes by so quickly. Right. So what are some of the current challenges before we get to the trends? What are some of the current challenges that you see a lot of practice owners facing when it comes to, and by the way, um, I didn't mention this in our pre-interview, but you know, this podcast, we open it up for um, chiropractors and as we mentioned dentists, orthodontists, uh, plastic surgeons, anybody who has a practice. And I think right. there's this pra- private practice evolution going on right now. So I think anything you say is going to be super beneficial to everybody who's listening to this. So what are some of the biggest challenges you see and concerns happening right now in the industry? Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing the specialty is facing right now is, you know, growth. It's really hard to grow. Um, you know, the economy is coming off a great year, 2.1% GDP this year, yep. best in eight years. Kind yep. of uninteresting to an entrepreneur, right? Who wants to yep. grow a business 2% a year? Not me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, and and uh, so you look at the orthodontic landscape and a percent and a half growth was what we saw in 2018, maybe 2% this, this year in 2019. So growth is hard and that's a big challenge. So what do you do when growth is hard is you, you try to find, you know, what, it, what are the consumer behaviors that I can attract? And, um, you know, you've got direct to consumer things happening. Um, they're taking away uh, from orthodontic practices. We've got to learn how to crack that code. Um, you know, we've got a lot of technology out there that we're resistant to because it's got lab fees and we don't know how to structure our P&Ls on how to uh, do those profitably. But clearly the consumer wants aligner therapy. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a, I, you know, incrementally, I think one in four cases are done with that now. Yep. And at the end of the decade, you know, it's going to be greater than 50%. Sure. And then you've got these group practices, a lot of, you know, why are they interested in, you know, the dental market or the chiropractor market or any other specialty markets. Cause there's a lot of uh, net income in these, in these places versus investing in grocery stores or, you know, sure. something like that. So a lot of money flowing into dentistry and medicine right now. And uh, the, you know, a lot of consumer behavioral changes. So you've got to be a pretty savvy practitioner um, to put all this together and say, gosh, the, the wind is blowing you know, what should I do? And yeah. um, I have some pretty, I guess, concrete ideas about what I would do. And, um, you know, I try to share that with folks. So uh, if you're listening, obviously you're, you can relate to the DSOs coming in, uh, the big corporations coming in. I love the, the very simple way you put it that, yeah, there's a lot of net income in all these practices. And the way I look at practices, I see that by little shifts, they can actually even make even more net income. I actually think liner therapy is one of those things that's going to help people have a little bit more income because they're not having as many butts in the seats and taking that much time out of it. So there's a lot of uh, opportunity there. So what are some of the, uh, the, the areas where you just said that you would kind of do where you would go into or put your focus on in order to uh, be more successful in their practice? Yeah, I, I think orthodontists or all doctors really need to understand the behavioral change of the consumer. And if I owned an orthodontic practice today, the first thing I would do is communicate with them differently than we have for the last 50 years. They want to text with you. They want to send pictures to you. They don't want to come uh, to your office. Uh, they they love you, but they don't love you that much. Nope. And um, so I would do a remote, um, you know, new patient exams or at least initial ones and then bring them in for records. 
I would do a lot of remote tracking with things like dental monitoring or other uh, things like that, rhinogram. I would let my patients text me. Um, I would let them set up their own appointments. Uh, and there's a lot of resistance to this kind of change with my age worth and honest. Um, well, let me I ask you that real fast because you mentioned that I actually wrote down before you said that I actually wrote on my, I keep notes as we're going and I wrote down resistance on my thing. Like I'm shorting it there. Like, cause I, cause I want to <laughs> resistance question mark when you talk, cause I know what I hear from, you know, from some of my clients and, and their uh, reluctance to change. What is that resistance that you, you, what do you think it is that is the root of that resistance? I, I think a lot of it's fear and I, and I think a lot of it's comfort. I mean, if mm. I'm working four days a week, doing the things the way I've done them, and I'm making the kind of money that I'm making, if I change, I won't, what if I screw that up? And so mm. there's a little bit of that. Um, and I think it's generational too. I think the, the older set is a little bit more resistant because they're a little bit more sure of themselves and, and don't want to change. You know, where, where I see people willing to change is that younger mid-market where there's really feeling the pressure of growth and squeeze, you know, these are their chief income earning years and they can't make their practice bigger. So they'll try things a little bit more. And then there's always those um, outliers that we all love as clients and, and they're just really willing to go out there and try things. Uh, those are those are fun practices to be involved with. But uh, I think fear and comfort mostly. It's interesting you mentioned the word outliers. I, I often even use that phrase of saying, hey, look, you're not an outlier, like you as a business owner. Because right. there are those that will be like, but I'm different. Again, that I guess we go back to the, but I lived here, Idis, right? But But still the, but my clients really want to see me or I know my market, my people better. And there's some truth to that. And I never want the doctors to feel like I'm um, discouraging of that or dismissing that, that, yeah, you have spent 20 years building up your market. You know what the people in your town like and don't like, but you also have to recognize that when they really love getting a personal phone call from you 20 years ago, they would much more love getting a text from you. Or like you said, not having to, they'd rather get, to see you less and they would think of you more, like appreciate you more than you thinking it's, it's the show of you. The more times they see me, the more FaceTime they get with me, the happier they are. And it's, it's hard to get that transition for some of them in their brain to shift over to that. Um, I think so, Dina. You remember when you were a new parent, um, you know, you thought your kid was so fragile, but you find out, you know, you can drop them, you can roll them, you can, you know, they're, they're yeah. pretty resilient. Uh, yeah, I had a conversation just before you and I got on this this podcast with a, a possible seller that said, you know, I'm really feeling like I want to finish all my cases that I've started because mm. I owe them something. And um, I said, listen, the, the, your patients are resilient. You know, what you need to do is say, this is Dr. X. They're bigger, better, faster, stronger, smarter. Mm. They're going to take great care of you. They'll, let's move on. We think a little bit too much of ourselves sometimes, and that can be good and bad, but... Um, you know, the consumer is resilient um, and they don't love that. think as much as you think about yourself, probably. <laughs> that, that's a really great phrase. Like if anybody listening can just remember that your consumer is resilient. Um, I often will use the example when doctors are like, well, but if I get an associate, uh, if I get an associate, then, uh, you know, they're not, they're going to want to see me like I can't, they, they can't duplicate me and all that stuff. And I always say, you know, I used to work for Disney. <laughs> and uh, I never ever once saw Walt Disney because, well, he was dead by the time I worked there. He's been dead for over for 50, 60 years. 
Uh, every time you go to Disneyland, though, you feel like you were touched by Walt Disney because right. he left his mark. So I think the most important thing you can do is to create that culture inside of your office that feels like you, that even if they didn't see you, they could go through an entire appointment, 20, 30, 40 minutes. And when they leave there, be like, man, Dr. So-and-so was amazing. I really loved her way she did this. And like, well, but you didn't meet with them. Oh, but you know, their team, they, they just really deliver every time. Culture is the differentiator between the practice that's growing and the one that's flat or declining. In my yeah. Opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I will tend to agree with you. Uh, yeah, it's true. It's very good. So any other trends that you see? Because definitely I love the idea. And we've had, you know, we've had um, Rhino Graham on the show. We've had a few people who were talking, look, that whole virtual exam, texting, giving people. And by the way, there's still a healthy mix. Like I don't want people listening to this to be worried that I have to go to texting all tomorrow. No, but give it an option because there's a healthy mix of millennial moms who definitely want to see it differently. And then, yep, you're going to have those other people who want it a little differently, who want more of the FaceTime, but you got to be willing to make that shift. But any other areas that you see? Uh, yeah, I think a couple, I mean, it, specifically to orthodontics, uh, not to exclude some of the other audience, but um, we have direct-to-consumer companies out there, you know, uh, one very, yeah. very big one that's going to do, you know, half a million cases this year, which is mm -hmm. a lot, it, effectively expanding the orthodontic market by 20% in the last several years. Um, and those patients um, or consumers, whatever you want to call them, are not calling the orthodontist. Why? Because when they do, they think they get one answer. Um, they think they get two years, $6,000, 15 visits, you know, $750 down, $200 a month. We have not cracked a code on how to, how to reach out to that person yet, uh, but practices that do are going to have a phenomenal growth in the 20s. Yeah. And it's this two-tiered uh, pricing orthodontists are afraid if I have two tiers of pricing, all my pricing will migrate to the bottom. But it's absolutely no um, evidence that shows that in the practices they're doing. So I think two-tier pricing is new. It, there's a ton of consumers that want this. Um, it requires that the orthodontists agree to treat to less than perfect occlusion. Yep. That's what this consumer wants. And if you, if you are okay with that, I think there's greater than 10% growth year over year for the next, you know, as far as I can see, five, six years. And it'd be magic time for Orthos. It goes back to uh, what we were talking about earlier, that you, you do have to get to that place in your head of getting out of your own way, of realizing that, okay, if you are only doing because the consumer wants just your, you know, the front four to straighten those out, that's it. And you're not doing your best work. And, you know, even though, I get it, right? Like you, your name's going to be on it in a way, your signature on that yeah. artist painting that you're looking forward to. But in order to really deliver, and even sometimes just to get your foot in the door, you have to deliver what they want at, at some level. And then hopefully you'll be able to deliver even more later on because they'll see the value and the benefit of that. I have a doctor right now who is not just doing two tier, but is creating a menu of services to say, here you go. Like, do you want the gold, the silver, the platinum package? And I think it's really a smart way of doing it. Uh, number one, I'm a big fan of, he actually started this because I started talking about how to raise your prices by at least $2,000 tomorrow. And that's by creating a platinum package. You can give all the great same services, but what if you had a platinum package where you had a reserved parking in the front of the place, you had a dedicated concierge phone line, you had a tooth polishing every third time the child comes in. Like I fly Delta Airlines, that's my preferred airline. 
And oddly enough, even though we're going the exact same place, every single flight I'm on, first class is always sold out. Even though we're going the same place because people want a different experience. Yep. Even if we're going to the same place. So I totally agree with that two-tiered pricing. And I love that you actually have some data that you can talk that way. And, you know, for me, it's about the business side of things. Like, look, I'm looking at trends and looking at this going, you're a numbers guy, right? Like you're way more than I am. And you probably can sit there and say, well, look, let's look at the numbers and the trend is showing us this. So follow the numbers. There's a big market out there. It could be a really uh, golden year uh, decade for orthodontists. Um, And a lot of them, think the golden age is past, but I think it's ahead of us. I think so too. I absolutely agree. Okay. So let's talk about the future then. So we talked about what's happening now, what's trending now. So let's go five years out, five years out. What do you see happening in uh, the, in in the private practice industry in general? And by the way, you mentioned earlier um, about being specifically for orthodontist yet really, when you look at it, chiropractors, right? Chiropractors, for example, they have been for years in industry where it is just a quick emergency. Somebody's back hurts. They come in, they get the back fixed. Even though the chiropractor is looking at going, well, let me fix the whole body and we could do some adjustments over the next six weeks. They're an industry who we can actually follow and go, Oh, even though we do want the holistic person to be full, uh, to be fixed. We also know we can fix them in a one-time shot, just like fixing the front four so that we can get to them more, uh, get give them more services later on. But what do you see five years from now happening in the industry? Yeah, in orthodontics, I mean, three or four things are pretty clear to us. And we're going to see fewer solo practitioners and more group practitioners because there is leverage at scale in orthodontics and spreading your footprint is a good hedge against what's going on. Um, We're also going to see consolidation with the DSOs continue to, um, uh, you know, occur at an accelerated rate. There's just a lot of money chasing it right now. It's probably 10% consolidated now. It'll be heading towards 20% in five years, 30% in 10 years. And so, you know, that means a lot of things. There's a lot of outcomes about that for AO governance. Uh, uh, You know, what do those meetings look like then? You know, do Mm -hmm. people want to join the AO? You know, is organized industry an interesting idea? I know the AO board of trustees are wrestling with with things like that. But um, so that part of dentistry was going to change. And I think for the consumer, we will be doing a lot of remote, um, call me if you need me kind of appointments. We will be seeing people very few times um, for the progressive practices. And we'll be really starting to probably hit a stride with teledentistry that we can't even really imagine right now. But I think that's the future is a whole lot less touches, a whole lot you know, smaller footprints in our offices. You know, you're not going to need 12 chairs anymore. You can, you can do a lot of money with a three or four chair practice. So that's going to drive some efficiencies. And um, I really believe that brackets, maybe they don't ever disappear, but, but they, can, they become less relevant every year. I have a doctor out of Chicago who's building, a new, building out a new practice. And I think it was something like eight chairs. And yeah. he went to a conference and he got totally bought into dental monitoring. He's one of the biggest Invisalign guys in this area. And he, as we were talking about it, he goes, do you know, I, I think I'm adding too many shares. Like the whole point of getting a new practice because he's too, he needs more space, but he's realizing with dental monitoring and what he goes, I don't think I need eight shares. I think I'm overbuilding. 
I think smaller footprints are in our future for sure, which will help the economies of profit a little bit. Well, one of the benefits of having you in the listener's uh, ear and uh, having your expertise is you mentioned the AAO, you are really entrenched in a lot of the organized processes or the organized even associations like the AAO. I'm assuming that was a very specific focus for you to really get into the know of what's going on. You know, I care about the success of the solo and small group practitioner, Um, Mm. you know, that I don't think they ever go away. We're just going to have fewer of them, but you know, for the ones that don't understand and jump on with what's happening, I think it's going to be a very steep climb for them in the next 20 years. And so, you know, you've got to understand the change in the consumer, the change in your uh, treatment modality mix, the change in digital, uh, digital dentistry, and you've got to start making some moves that are maybe uncomfortable, but you got to get there in order to succeed. And so mm. I'm trying to to help the AAO speak to the constituency and I'm trying to educate the doctors as best I can about what I think is going on. You know, I might be not exactly right, but I know that the direction of the wind, I just may not know how hard it's blowing exactly. Well, I think your point earlier, what you're saying is like, you just look at the numbers, like look at the facts and then yeah. we can go off of that. And it's challenging. And I get that because when you're talking to someone who's, you know, a purist over the last 20, 25 years, it's hard for them to see what, if in their view, it's not a positive thing and to get on board with that. But the fact of the matter is evolution always wins. And we're in an industry nowadays, we're in a, in a time nowadays where we have to look at that and go, look, just like we're going to have less and less servers at McDonald's because they're going to have computers coming and do it. We're going to have, it's just the evolution. Just like I'm not in a field with a, a horse and a plow because things have changed. And it's okay. We have to embrace those things. Um, When it comes to trends that you, if you were to think of one thing that you think a doctor uh, should jump on as soon as possible, again, here we are beginning of the year, 2020, maybe New Year's resolution type idea. What would be one thing that you would want them to really consider or not just consider, but just do embrace as soon as they possibly can so that they're not sitting here in 2021 going, dang it, I wish I would have done that 12 months ago. Yeah, it sounds silly. You've, we've kind of danced around it a few times. I would text enable my main phone line. Um, when I think about the people I care the most about and how I communicate with them, it's, so it's via text, man. And that's how the consumer wants to uh, communicate with you. And so few people do that well. Um, so I like Ronogram. I think it's built by an orthodontist. It's a good product. I yep. know there's other ones. Um, I don't care what you use, but text enable your phone line and learn to communicate with people, both for prospective new patients and with your existing patients and eliminate some appointments and start to get efficient. It's a no brainer. It doesn't cost you anything. It'll grow your practice. Love it. I love it. It's so true. Uh, right now I would say that, gosh, probably at least 75 and probably being a little conservative on that 75% of my communication is through text or through, um, I do a thing called Marco Polo. Yeah. So Marco Polo, it's like quick face text. That's all it is. But uh, I even have on my voicemail, it says, uh, if you're an info marketer, please don't leave a message. If you are not an info marketer and you actually want to get a hold of me, I promise I'm not going to hear this voicemail for at least the next seven days. Please text me. I never check my voicemail. 
So, yeah, it's absolutely true. Well, we have gotten to the place in uh, this show, and thank you so much for all the great information. I hope everybody was taking a lot of notes because this has been great. So we got the, we've gotten to the point in our show where we just do some kind of rapid-fire questions to get to know your opinion on a few of these uh, topics. Are you ready to play? I am, and I'm opinionated, so we'll see how this goes. <laughs> me too. I am too. I know. I always tell people, don't ask me my opinion unless you really want my opinion. We can have a conversation, and I can never give you my opinion, but if you want my opinion. All right. Well, this is really, I think, on topic right now, especially for what you get to see on a regular basis. When it comes to expenses, what do you think is the most expensive thing that private practice owners are missing in their practices right now? Um, you know, I, I'll give you two answers. I, you know, okay. I think it's hard to survive efficiently in the digital world without a scanner. And I still see uh, practices that don't have them and you can't be in the digital realm without a scanner. So that would, that would be an expense that I see as a no brainer. Mm. Um, if I, if I change the word expense to expensive, what's the mm-hmm. most expensive thing they don't have? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's a, uh, a value statement, a mission statement, a, um, nice. a, the, the Simon Sinek, why, you know, whatever yeah. you want to call yeah. it, the practices that have that outperform the ones that don't two to one in every operational and financial metric. Yet we hear this, we read it, you know, we see it, we know it's something we should do, but we don't take the time to sit down, write it out and then, and then convey it to our team. That's the most expensive mess uh, that orthodox wouldn't have to spend any money, um, to get that will grow their business. You're speaking my language, man. That is one of the things <laughs> it, 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 it baffles me, right? Yeah. When I'm thinking Moses had to have a vision for people to follow him for 40 years. You think just because you're a nice guy or you do great work, people are going to follow you? No, like you got to have that vision. You got to have that mission of where are we going? And we know it's been just shown over and over again with millennials, especially who is uh, in the in the workforce right now. They need a mission, their mission cause. And so you better have one. I love it. That's great. Two great yeah, answers. I, I think so. Uh, what's a book that you believe every private practice owner should be reading? Uh, the Go-Giver by Bob Berg. Ah, um, it's just um, uh, been meaningful to us. We were giving it to it by a client of ours in North and Honest. We kind of implemented um, a lot of that. and We've given a lot of them away. It's a fantastic book. The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. Don't you love it when you have a book that you find that you're just like, oh, I got to give this away to people. I got to show yeah. them what this is. Well, we'll make sure we put that in the uh, link to that in the show notes as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I, just, I was just talking about this a moment ago, but in my book, the Practice Rx, I focus a lot on team culture and team performance as being the real true foundation of business growth. I believe it is uh, the thing that will tide you over in down economies and uh, bad uh, personal times, which I've seen doctors go through, you know. But what do you see as the biggest challenge that private practice owners are facing when it comes to their teams and their office culture? Yeah, I, uh, leadership void. Um, mm. You know, it's, it's interesting. You know, doctors are so bright, but they're scientists and they think yeah. differently than business people. And they think in millimeters and they, and they think in scientific methodology and they, they have real trouble delegating. Um, and you cannot really expand your business if you don't have trust in your people and allow them to fail. And so they need some leadership training. And that usually comes with a consultant, you know, yeah. and that would be the other thing is, you know, if I was going to spend any money on my practice that I knew I would get a, a huge ROI on, it would be a consultant. And only 18% of the practice owners in the, in the country ever do because they wow. think they're too expensive, but the money comes back tenfold. So, uh, 
they need some business coaching and that can come in a lot of different, you know, mediums. Wow. That's great. Okay. Um, how can listeners get a hold of you before we move on to the last couple of questions? What, how can listeners get a hold of you? Yeah. Website's the best way. Um, Bensoncoppel.com and it's got a T in it, but you can't hear it. B E N T S O N Koppel, C O P P L E.com. A silent T. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So this I know can be a bit of a challenging question, but for you personally, um, in either your life, uh, personal life or in your business, what's the best advice you've ever received? Uh, I was lucky to have a really great business mentor and he had a lot of isms. And uh, one of my favorites was what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. So make sure you're feeling the well. Well, just make sure that, you know, what's down there is what's going to come up. So it's really what's inside is what's yeah. going to come out. Yeah. I love that one. He also used to always say, you know, people aren't against you. They're for themselves. And um, uh, that's been a good piece of business advice um, and life advice. Ah, that's really, really good. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, what's the best resource or tool that you believe every private practice owner should be using to grow their practice right now? We mentioned consultants. Is there another one? Yeah, yeah, that would be my answer would be consultants. I, yeah. I, I really think that's the best one. You know, there, there's a lot of good newsletters out there. I would get the McGill Hill newsletter. We've got a newsletter. I mean, um, Collier's got a newsletter. I think there's just good tips that come to you frequently enough that you can, um, you just need to be touched on those again to, to keep you sharp. Uh, maybe a book club, something like that. I mean, I think it's something outside of clinical. Um, yeah. you, need, you need to focus on business skills and acumen. Yeah, I think that's so, so important with the consultant side of things, just to have somebody, uh, um, oh, what's his name? The road less stupid, Keith Cunningham. He says, you know, you can't smell your own breath. So you yeah. got to have somebody else who can tell you. And that's so important in business. It's hard. It's humbling for a lot of people. And I think that's kind of a theme that we've been talking a little bit about here is that being able to really take a hard look at your business uh, where it is right now, because you cannot change what you will not acknowledge, but see where it is right now and then try to be open as much as you possibly can to the future and that there's going to be change. And the one thing that is consistent is change, obviously, but it's it's a challenge. And I think that when it comes to this podcast and the, and the messages here, I hope people really heard that it is really about making sure that you're disrupting yourself, that you're not getting too comfortable that you're reaching out to people like Chris and other people who can actually look at your business in a very uh, matter of fact, numbers focused, not emotional way. So you get out of that, I lived here, I type situation. And also to be able to look at the future and say, okay, I'm open to change. I'm open to seeing what can happen for the betterment of not only myself, not only my team members, but of my uh, patients who I want to change their lives through too. Absolutely. So Chris, thank you so much for being a part of the show today and sharing your fun. amazing wisdom. Well, good. I hope fun. it was fun. <laughs> yeah. I try to have fun in most things that I do. Um, but thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Please everybody reach out uh, to Chris on his website, um, see all the amazing tools and opportunities. And even if you're not in the place of uh, getting ready to sell your practice right now, you know, it's really about understanding where you are and I'm and having that information so that you can build for the future. As you heard at the top of the show, Chris even said, there's going to be times where he's going to say, yeah, you might want to call me back in a couple of years when you're really ready for that. So wherever you are, reach out, uh, see how Chris might be able to help you out. And for those of you who are 
uh, active listeners to the show, thank you very much for being here. Don't forget to share this with a friend or a colleague and give them some of your best practices as well. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Dino. Have a great uh, rest of the week. Awesome. You too. And good year. Yes, and a good year. Well, thanks everybody for listening to the Propreneur Podcast. And I hope that you will always be more proactive, productive, and profitable in all the areas of your life and business. We'll see you on the next show. Thanks so much again for listening to the Propreneur Podcast. We really appreciate your support. If you haven't subscribed already, please make sure you do so. Also, if you feel like you might be a good fit for our podcast as a guest or know somebody who you think would be, go ahead and email us at dino at dinowatt.com. Again, thanks for support. We'll see you on the next episode.